0: You're listening to Productive Flourishing. Thanks for joining us today.
1: One of the things that I like to do to kind of lay the groundwork in the foundation is just tell people that um, when I'm talking about empathetic leadership, the definition that I'm using for empathy is Daniel Goleman's definition that comes straight out of emotional intelligence, which is really the ability to understand the emotional makeup of others and the skill in then treating people according to their emotional reactions. And so when you take it down to that level and people start to have an understanding of the definition of empathy, I then like to talk to them a little bit about, okay, well, if that's what empathy is, what is empathy not?
0: That was Patricia Bravo from Bravo For You, a consultancy that accelerates leader capability through the use of empathetic leadership. She joins me today to discuss two of my great loves, empathy and leadership, and to share why it can be so hard to weave empathy and leadership together, even though it may seem that they're natural partners. I'm Charlie Gilkey, and this is Productive Flourishing. Welcome to Productive Flourishing, where we explore how to do the work that matters so you become your best self in the world. I'm your host, Charlie Gilkey, and I'm joined by Angela Wheeler and other guests who will share their stories, insights, wins, and challenges in the hopes that our journeys and stories will help you with yours. Now, on to the show. Patricia, thanks so much for joining me today, and I'm excited about this conversation because you're one of my favorite people, but you know that. Um, And we get to talk about two of my favorite concepts, which is empathy and leadership. And so I'm really excited about it, and thanks for joining me today.
1: Thanks for having me, Charlie. I'm excited to have a dialogue with you.
0: Cool, cool. So, you know, the interesting thing about what we're talking about today, which is empathetic leadership, is um, for a lot of us, I know you and I know me, um, empathy and leadership seem to be things to just like walk along on the beach together naturally. Like they just seem to be good old couples, right? And so why do we need to talk about this? Um, but the reality is once you get out into the field in organizations of all sizes and teams in all sizes, they don't always walk together, right? Um, sometimes you have leadership models that aren't very empathetic, and sometimes you have empathetic habits, practices, or biases that aren't very leadershipy, right?
1: And yeah. so, and
0: so um, it's this combination that you, we wouldn't think that we would need to talk about, but we, in fact, do need to talk about. Um, and I know you speak a lot about empathetic leadership and you teach executives and and things about it, but what are some of the things that come up as questions or objections about blending the two um, from from the people you're actually talking to about it?
1: Sure, you know, I agree with you. I think that um, a lot of us that have a tendency towards empathetic leadership find that empathy and leadership go hand in hand. And yet when you start talking to Um, leaders in the workplace, whether they're emerging leaders or whether they're experienced leaders, they find some um, reservations sometimes or hesitancy around using empathy. One of the most common questions that I've gotten recently in some of the workshops and speaking engagements that I've been doing is how can you show up as an empathetic leader while also managing performance or doing other difficult things in business, like making really difficult strategic business decisions that might have a challenging impact on team members in the organization and not come across as weak, but demonstrate empathy. And so kind of holding those two things at the same time is a challenge for people.
0: What is it though? I mean, why is there this apparent tension between being empathetic and being a good leader or, or managing people's performance and so on and so forth. Like they're responding to something in either the culture, the broader culture, or their organization's culture, right? Uh,
1: yeah. Um, in my experience, leaders are really struggling with the challenging work environments that they find themselves in. Um, you've probably heard the term VUCA environment. For mm-hmm. your, your listeners, I'll define it in case they're not familiar with it. It stands for volatile uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. And so leaders find themselves under a lot of business pressure and leaders are rewarded for behaviors like driving growth, driving business revenue, turning around a company, um, going from startup to a mid-sized organization. And they're not always rewarded for the context and the quality Of their leadership. And so they find themselves under pressure regularly to perform and deliver within a business context that doesn't necessarily support their style of leadership. And yet, what I found is leaders that invest in empathetic leadership actually are able to drive more productivity through the motivation and the results that they get from the team members they work with.
0: This is so. What's really fascinating for me is like this is the the idea that soft spoken, um, caring, empathic leaders are sometimes the best performers. It's not a new concept. I mean, um, who was it that talked about level five leadership? Um, I don't want to throw out the wrong author, but you know who I'm talking about. Um, yeah. Um, and so in the in the level five leadership model, they they walk through progressions of different leadership styles, and they find this pinnacle. Um, tends to be much more of, uh, I was going to say the Eisenhower model as opposed to the patent model, but the Eisenhower model is more of someone that's more reserved, slower, compassionate, and has um, a a greater perspective of things than sort of that patent model, which is the brash, in-your-face, gutsy, bold, you know, very alpha leader, like what we're talking about, but yet we select for the patents um and we deselect for the eisenhowers right and this research i, I really wish who who is the author i should have i didn't know i was going to go this this quickly um so
1: anyways we'll we'll put topic. it in
0: the show notes um that that's always the fallback we'll put it in the show notes um but this this research is like 15 20 years old right and we can probably go back further than that um and It's not like leaders and managers aren't reading and and staying up to date. And it's not like this is not coming through in the seminars and the training. Um, And so, from my perspective, there seems to be some willful hard headedness about it, right? Um, Because you know it's there, we're just not paying attention to it. Am I reading that all wrong?
1: Um, In some cases, I think that's the case. In other cases, what I've heard from leaders, and surprisingly, not just emerging leaders, but experienced leaders, is they've they've heard of Daniel Goleman. They've heard of emotional intelligence. They know that empathy is one of the core elements of emotional intelligence. But when I talk to them more at a granular level, what they say to me is, Patricia, I understand that empathy is important in leadership, but I don't know how to be more empathetic. So sometimes it's really getting down a level in helping them understand how they demonstrate empathy and how they incorporate empathy into their regular day to day leadership.
0: So I'm super confused and stumped because I would be stumped with the question of how to be more empathetic, right? Um, Yeah. So walk us through, um, if you can, at the tactical level, like what that might mean, because I'm, I'm drawing a blank, honestly, on this one.
1: Sure. So one of the things that I discovered as I started doing this work is that there's really a hunger for empathy in the workplace. And I I didn't recognize it right away. I'd had some experiences that told me that empathetic leadership was a leadership differentiator based on the experiences that I had had. But I wasn't sure if that was just coincidence based on the type of organizations that I had worked in and the leaders that I had come into contact with. So when I started talking to people about some of the work I'm doing, I heard a couple different things. One is um, you know, in some cases there was you know significant interest and support. In other cases, there's some skepticism around it, healthy skepticism. Um, but it was the kind of third piece of feedback that really surprised me when I talked to team members. And what they said to me is, "Gosh, you know, when when you have more of this work available to share, can you let me know because I'd like to, you know, put a copy of your book on my leader's chair or you know send them a web link or whatever that might be." And so as I as I kind of drove into that a little bit more, I recognize that there's a hunger for empathy in today's workplace that may or may not be um, specifically articulated. So then when I take that to a place of shifting it to the leader... And trying to kind of peel back the layers of the onions as to why are w- that why not, they might not be engaging in that. That's where I realized in some cases they have a perspective of what empathy is or isn't. So one of the things that I like to do to kind of lay the groundwork in the foundation is just tell people that um, when I'm talking about empathetic leadership, the definition that I'm using for empathy is Daniel Goleman's definition that comes straight out of emotional intelligence, which is really the ability to understand the emotional makeup of others, and the skill in then treating people according to their emotional reactions. And so when you take it down to that level and people start to have an understanding of the definition of empathy, I then like to talk to them a little bit about, okay, well, if that's what empathy is, what is empathy not? And there are a couple of areas that um, I find regularly that people bring up that they think is very similar to empathy, and there, there are some connections that I'm sure you'll appreciate, and that's um, sympathy and compassion. So I think that, um, you know, Brene Brown probably says it best when she talks about the difference between empathy and sympathy. Empathy is really around joining up with somebody, and if you think about what Daniel Goldman's definition is, is really joining up with them emotionally, where sympathy is more feeling for someone sort of on their behalf as opposed to with them. And then the other one that comes up is compassion. So compassion is often raised as a connection to empathy. And and the way I look at it is empathy is um, really a gateway to understanding, which is something that is driving some of this hunger in the workplace by team members. And compassion is the output So if you understand somebody's perspective and their emotions and what they're going through by using empathy, you can then respond in a compassionate manner if you so choose.
0: You know, as you're talking, um, what occurs to me, and and I think maybe we've had other conversations about this, is one of the challenges for many managers and leaders in Patricia, I believe we both don't make a big distinction between managers and leaders, right? Um, Correct. And so um, we'll use them interchangeably in this context. Um, A a big challenge for managers is that um, there are certain organizational practices. There are certain just the way things are done um, that you know, it's it's one of the things where attention is applying the same standards for everyone, the same level of treatment, the same level of um, performance conversation, the same level of feedback for everyone, because that's, you know, quote, unquote, fair. Yeah. Right? And that yeah. comes into tension with being empathetic in the way that you've defined, because to be empathetic in the way that you've defined might mean that you don't treat everybody the same, right? That there might be cases where um, because you know someone's preferences and emotional makeup, you approach the situation in a different way to get a, to get the same result, but you have to approach it in a different way. And so the tension becomes like, well, you know, um Patricia's an introvert, which means there are certain ways that, you know, maybe in a meeting, you know, rather than asking Patricia to be the person who talks first right? Um, Maybe it would be better. I'm picking on Patricia because I just know she's a little introverted in some ways, right? Um, Maybe in the meeting, like, I either, like, don't ask her for her opinion, but follow up with her individually the day after so she has time to process it and she's comfortable. But that, you know, one, that makes my life harder as a leader. Uh, But two, is that fair? Because you know, she's not performing at this level of being able to stand at the table and have this conversation and contribute as much. Does that make sense?
1: That totally makes sense, yeah. And I think it's very true. One of the benefits, I think, of empathetic leadership is that you can customize to an individual's team members' preference. And as a result, so we'll continue with the Patricia example, um, if you're my leader and you are customizing to my preference and you are supporting my introvert tendencies and preferences, I am more likely to continue to want to I um, connect with you and build a deeper and more effective relationship, which ultimately leads to more trust, more willingness to give to you as my leader, more willing to give, you know, what we sometimes call it work discretionary effort. So effort that goes above and beyond what my job requires because you have invested, in treating me this way, so at the end of the day, the um, results of the business performance actually demonstrate the success of this investment.
0: And still, the tension. I'm a busy Correct. manager in a VUCA Correct. environment. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, because we both work with with leaders at different levels, I I find that middle managers are often. Um, the ones who are most needing and craving empathy, but the ones that are finding the hardest time to model it and practice it um, because they're getting pressure from senior management. and they're getting pressure from their lateral management team and they're getting pressure from their um, subordinate or you know um, their the teams that they're leading at the same time. And yes. so but and I also feel at the same time that when we change the middle layer and do that successfully, Assuming we have partnership from the senior layer, assuming that that's where we can actually spread empathy, we can spread strategy execution, we can spread good culture at that middle management layer. But it's the hardest to reach, right?
1: It, it is the hardest to reach. Those, um, I completely agree with you. Those are the leaders that I find that are struggling the most. Uh, and because they're in a place in their career where we're, they're developing, they're trying to continue to improve upon their existing capabilities while delivering results back to the business, while demonstrating, in some cases, their potential for more growth. Um, and then on top of that, they're challenged with having to successfully lead their teams.
0: And I think the challenge is in the, in the VUCA environment, um, it's both the VUCA and the speed of change, right? And so were we to roll back 30 years ago, here's my belief, right? Um, Granted, 30 years ago, I was watching Transformers. But um, if we were to roll back 30 years ago, or 50 years ago, um, what we would see is that maybe um, empathetic leaders had more time um, to sink into their sort of pocket of leadership, and their teams had time to sort of gel around that and build the trust and things like that. Because my experience is that um, being a leader with heavy soft side skills, um, empathy, compassion, sympathy, um, all those different things, it can sometimes take a longer time for you to get results in, the, like in, especially in the short term. So in the first ninety days if you go jump into your into there and you spend a lot of time alliance building and all those sort of relationship building things you know a year later it's going to pay a lot of dividends but in the first 90 days um you may not be seen as productive or as, as as much of a star performer as that sort of brash person that comes in there and starts making moves and starts you know ruffling feathers and doing all those types of things um so, you know, my point is, I, I think there's a speed of business, a speed of leadership. And um, I would furthermore go to say the lack of formal mentorship that used to exist. That's creating this scenario, creating this pressure, right? Um, deliver results fast versus playing the long game. And so for, you know, managers that, that might be in that position, um, how, might, how might we um, cut that Gordian knot for them or at least resolve some of the tension they in?
1: Yeah, I think that um, leaders really find themselves challenged by the speed of business today and Um, not just the speed, but in some organizations culturally, I hear from leaders that their culture doesn't support empathetic leadership, and yet they want to operate as empathetic leaders. So how can they do that in that type of an environment? And there's some things that you can do to get some quick wins. I agree with you that empathetic leadership will pay tremendous dividends if you're playing the long game. And at the same time, a leader needs to Um, have some quick wins initially to demonstrate their success, particularly if they're in a newer role or trying to show up as a uh, a high potential leader. So one of the things that I suggest is that um, leaders really spend some time um, early in the development of relationship with team members, trying to understand their preferences and where they can meet those team members where they're at. Um, In a just-in-time way, early in the relationship building. And so one of the things that I talk to people about, I've built kind of this empathetic leader model, and it's got a lot of different elements in it, but there's some that can be affected more quickly than others. Um, so one is to really try to relate with the individuals that you're talking with. So where are some immediate points of connections where you already have some common shared perspectives, points of views, professional um, alliances where you would want to immediately engage and try and relate with those individuals. And so that's a great place to start where you can get some quick wins and have some shared and joined um, trust that is built early on in the relationship.
0: Yeah. So, you know, what also occurs to me is again, in high paced VUCA environments, a lot of new managers and new leaders get thrown into a situation where basically they're having to salvage some, um, they've had to clean somebody else's mess up. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I, Unfortunately, I, I, and maybe it's just the the work that I do and where I get called in. I've I've seen that more than people get handed over a really solid team and everything is good to go. It's mostly like, um, this is a mess and I, and, and I've got (laughs) to clean it up. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, and the counterintuitive thing here is that the first sort of order of priorities when you get put in that position is to get the ball moving forward, like get it turned around as fast as possible. Yeah. Um, and so that's sort of the pressure that comes in. But what I found through both the military and all the other things that I've done is the first thing you should do with a team in crisis is actually the empathetic stuff, right? Um, because they're probably in crisis because of a lack of empathy and trust in, um, you know, all those things. And we can go into five dysfunctions, right? Um, all of those yeah. types of things, which are not people not being capable It's not uh, people just willfully showing up and, and, you know, not doing their work. Um, It's, uh, it's, you know, that discretionary stuff that you talked about earlier, the working alliances that they build with with teams. And I think Stephen Covey, yeah, he does have a book called The Speed of Trust, right? Um, Yes. And, you know, trust empowers so many different things with, with a team. And if the team is already in crisis, they need to trust their new leader or manager as quickly as possible. You don't quite get there just by doing the same thing that probably their last leader was doing it, but doing it better and harder. Um, that that horse is worn out, you know. Um, so, if we were to dive in practically, um, and I know our both of our uh, comfort zone would be saying, "Well, it depends." So let's try not to say it depends, right? If we were to be if we were to be thrown into that scenario, and we had to say, "Okay, here's your first three things to do." Um, What would you advise someone in that situation to do?
1: First, um, when it comes to empathetic leadership, I always encourage leaders to try and do a quick assessment of what degree of empathy the team members they're working with prefer. And so that's a way to really help meet where they're at. Some people are very, very interested in a lot of empathy, right? That is something that they really value. They really want to be understood and heard, Um, In other cases, that's not as important. So really think about what the individual preferences are to start in terms of their desire for empathy. Um, The second thing that I would think about is think about um, to what degree you're engaging your emotions. So the quickest way to join up with somebody emotionally is to pause just for a moment um, in the middle of that chaotic, you know, pressure ridden, sometimes stressful environment and engage your emotions and make sure that you're engaging at that emotional level, kind of at that more deep level with the individual that you are connecting with or the collective team. And Really think about, especially in the high pressure environments, I talk a lot about monitoring your reactions and the difference between responding versus reacting. And in those really challenging situations, leaders often react because they're under that tremendous amount of pressure. And so if they can take a step back for just a moment and think about what a response would be versus a reaction, that often pays a lot of dividends in those challenging scenarios.
0: So you know, one thing that, that we as executive coaches and management consultants, like an objection is like, how long is this going to take? Yeah. Right. How long is it going to take to get an empathetic map of my of my team and get the assessments in and to build the sort of empathy plan, right? Um, but I'm wondering, um, in the scenario where, you know, first week you're trying to get in and, and make something happen, you may or may not have the budget for all of the things and you may or may not have the support to do the the, um, empathy. Um, I was going to say the empathy bomb, but that sounds, um, that that's not right. Right. The empathy surge, right. Um, but you still, here's your new team. You first, you know, two or three days, what can you do?
1: Uh, one of the things that I have found that I've heard from team members is show up, um, in an empathetic manager in a, in, in an empathetic manner out of the gate. So what I mean by that is regardless of what the circumstances are, Demonstrate your interest in understanding. And so there's a lot of different ways to go about doing that. One scenario that stands out for me, I interviewed a team member for some work I'm doing, and she told me that her leader demonstrated empathy in a really difficult situation. She was supposed to show up for her very first day of work, and her brother passed away unexpectedly the day before. And she told me about how her leader treated her on that first day. And she, of course, was very concerned about, you know, the potential of what would happen to her job if she wasn't able to show up. Um, You know, she wanted to Um, very much be connected with this organization. And so the leader um, took her aside and really supported her through this challenging situation. So a couple of things that leaders can do, um, you know, potentially in their first week in engaging with teams are really showing up in an empathetic manner. They may have a circumstance as difficult as this one that I just described, or it may be business as usual. Um, If it's a difficult circumstance, it's the perfect opportunity to demonstrate empathy and demonstrate uh, that you understand what an individual is going through, whether you're doing that through applying kind of deep listening skills, whether you're having to make some changes to accommodate them and to support the balance of the people in the business. Um, If it's more business as usual, or if you're trying to turn around a team that's been in a really challenging situation, um, again, showing up in an empathetic manner and demonstrating your interest in understanding. And that can happen in a 30 minute meeting. So to your point, this doesn't mean you have to build out an 18 month, Long plan, um, you know, with quarterly events, um, although in some cases those are helpful. But if in the first week, in 30 minutes, you can get to know your team, um, understand what their needs and preferences are, um, invest in trying to relate with them, and really more than anything, demonstrate to them that you're inter- interested in understanding where they're coming from and what their perspective is, both as in a collective way, if it's a team, and at an individual level.
0: Do you have a um, standard playbook in the sense of like, okay, if you're in this scenario, like have a meeting with the full team first and then meet with the individuals or then you meet with the individuals and then you meet with the full team. Like do you have a, a stance on that or a um, expert opinion on that?
1: I think that one falls into the it depends category. But I would say if it's business as usual, um, typically meeting with the team first and sharing a little bit about Um, kind of your approach and what you're hoping to learn from them, Um, maybe what your charter is in the organization, what you've been asked to come in and do and sharing some of those things. So everybody's hearing the same message is really helpful before you then continue on to one-on-one meetings, which invest, uh, require an investment of a little bit more time. Um, If you're um, kind of in the converse of that and you are walking into a situation where there is, um, you know, more chaos or, you know, something has gone sideways right before you showed up as the, leader, um, it may be beneficial in those situations to invest in more on -on one-on-one dialogues so you can have a better understanding of what's going on in the landscape before you meet collectively with the team.
0: One thing that I've seen with this is if you're in that position where you're coming in as a new manager um, and you want to build something like this, like proactively communicating that with your leaders or your stakeholders and things like that, say, hey, this is what I'm doing for the first week or the first two, and here's the way that I'm engaging, actually is a good way to build some buffer time in there. Um, even if there, are you know, you might have a little pushback. I've seen that happen. Like, no, you need to get in and do X, Y, and Z. And it's like, to do X, Y, and Z, you know, here's here's my way about going. But but showing up with, with some plan and intention and communication goes a long way as opposed to doing it sort of the stealth, like, I'm just going to do it. Um, you know, I've, I would recommend people think about that if you're in the situation. Um, and just because I've learned that proactive communication solves so many problems, um, in general. And so saying, here's what I'm doing, here's why it'll take me two weeks. If you want to see some results or you want to have a conversation about what I find, that's great. But this is my way of coming in and and reestablishing the situation. Um, and it works in all military, all environments, including the military. (laughs)
1: Excellent. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and the other thing that I find that um, really goes a long way towards connecting that understanding is to spend a lot of time listening, which does require an investment. Um, but doing something like hosting listening sessions. And again, publicly sharing as you just shared what you're doing and that you're interested in just hearing. You're not going to be problem solving. You're not going to be making any decisions, but you're really in a place to where you're just trying to listen and understand what's going on. And the perspectives, the specific perspectives of team members in the organization also goes a long way towards building that initial foundation.
0: Yeah, I mean, part of it is what you're trying to do is you know, we've talked about the, the empathy map, right? Um, but you're trying to get a sense for what the actual culture of your team is, right? Because there's, you know, the, the culture and values that get put up on the wall, um, which sometimes aren't the culture and values that happen <laughs> in the day-to-day work, right? And so you're trying to get your arms around what that is um, yeah. so that you can um, lean into the, pra- the patterns and practices that are, that are helping, but also avoid you know, the things that aren't, at least from your perspective. Um, and so while you're listening, just one thing that I'll add on there is try to listen for those um, sacred cows that are part of the team's culture and organization, like the, the things that people don't talk about or don't touch. Um, and that person may not be able to say a whole lot about it because it's one of those sacred cows that we really don't talk about. But when you see one of these or you start to feel it out over the course of a few conversations – then it's saying like, okay, let's, how do I find out more about this? Where did this come from? Is this cow still part of the barn that we need to have anymore? Or is this like, where is this? So listen for those because it's those unstated cultural norms sometimes that um, can be the thing that can be most in your way as far as being an empathetic leader or as far as being an effective leader, which I believe means being an empathetic leader, but that's contentious. I know. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, one of the things that <clears throat> I've been spending a lot of time talking about is, you know, listening comes up a lot by way, of, you know, to be a gateway to understanding. And that is a deep connection to empathy um, between listening and empathy. And Jack Sanger and Joseph Folkman wrote an article in um, the Harvard Business Review around what the differences between what made listening good versus great. And I often like to point out, Um, this research because they talked about um, level five listening. And that's really the place um, beyond just kind of you're clearing the decks, you're hearing what's being said. um, You're kind of deepening the listening to where you're really looking to understand exactly what's coming across. And that's where I think you can identify what some of those sacred cows are. So you're really not just listening to what the verb, the words that are being stated, but you're starting to look at nonverbal cues. What are the emotions behind what's being stated? And once you have that information, that really helps you understand the true picture of what's going on.
0: Yeah. Two recommendations here. Um, coactive coaching. Um, it's, it's a great book, but I think they call it level three listening. Right. Um, and, um, also, um, Michael Bungay Stanier's The Coaching Habit, two great books. Now, the reason I'm, I'm recommending coaching books right now is because one of the fundamentals of great coaching is deep listening. And so, and question and, you know, asking questions that probe deeper and, um, you know, coming in sometimes instead of being like that directive leader, sometimes being the inquisitive coach can go a lot further, right, in, in, yeah. in these first few weeks, right, um, of, of coming in on something. I'm, I'm curious because um, sometimes we end up teaching what we most want to learn. Um, sometimes we end up teaching to prevent something from happening that happened to us. Um, but we all have different ways in which we sort of fall into the work that we're doing. Um, and despite, um, you know, empathy being part of our emotional matrix, how did you really get into talking about empathetic leadership and and seeing that they're like, this is the thing that that I want to pa- plant my flag on and, and talk more about?
1: Yeah, um, it, it was something that um, took me a little bit by surprise, I have to say. Um, about four years ago, when I started doing this work, I started thinking about kind of what I wanted to anchor my leadership development business in. And I started mining my experiences throughout my career. I I recognized that I had worked with A lot of different leaders across industries and geographies and levels in my career, um, different types of organizations, franchising organizations and nonprofit and retail. And the one thing that stood out when I mined those experiences is that leaders who led with empathy differentiated themselves at work. And they differentiated themselves because they got different results from people. Um, And so they were able to motivate them and they increased their followership. And so I thought, hmm, you know, there's there's something there. There's something to that. And so I started um, doing a little bit of research to see what was out there and discovered that there was a lot of information out there around empathy as it relates to interpersonal relationships, kind of based in psychology, but not a lot as it related to the workplace. And so that's when I started to... Um, test these ideas with other people, um, discovered that there's an interest in it and began to put together the model and some of my work around it. But um, that's kind of today when I think, you know, way back to how did I get um, acquainted with empathy? I I realized it was actually at a very young age um, and it was actually through my dear grandma. My family is originally from Chile, and although I was raised primarily in the U.S., she would come to visit from Chile uh, when I was young, and she would come for three to four months at a time because it was um, quite a distance to travel, and I loved it. I loved spending time with her, and I was an only child, so I was delighted to have a playmate. I'm not sure how delighted she was by that, but I was thrilled to have her around with regularity, and I discovered... um, that she had a lot of phrases that she would use. And um, she only spoke Spanish, so we only spoke in Spanish to one another. And one of the phrases that she used regularly was um, one that goes like this, lo siento por él, lo siento por él. And um, It has a lot of, you know, direct translations, but in the way that she was describing it, her meaning was, you know, I kind of feel with him. And so as I looked back into my experiences as I started doing this work, I really realized that my earliest experiences around empathy came from my grandmother. Um, I recognize that she was teaching me about empathy at a time where I ne- didn't necessarily recognize it, and she had this way of um, putting herself in somebody else's shoes and recognizing the perspective of others, and and what's now certainly translated into some of the work I do.
0: That's fantastic, and and you know, it's one of the things we haven't talked about is you learned empathy from your grandmother. Um, you're also um, a woman teaching leadership development. And I've seen this in the spaces that talking about the sort of the soft stuff, empathy and compassion, um, it has, it seems to have a gendered component to it, right? Um, And I've, I've seen that objection in in the different ways that I talk about it. Um, How have you have you seen that? And if so, how have you engaged with that?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I have seen that. It's, it's one of the questions that I get a lot, actually, and I was surprised by it. Initially, when I started doing this work, um, people ask a lot of questions about, you know, are there differences as it relates to empathy between um, men and women? The short answer is yes. The research shows that um, women have a um, natural tendency towards empathy But in my work, what I like to focus on is that empathy is gender agnostic. So regardless of our natural tendencies, we all have an opportunity to continue to develop and enhance our empathetic leadership. And so um, in the work that I do, you know, I don't spend a lot of time diving into the gender differences, but I think it's appropriate to acknowledge that there, there are differences that come up.
0: So how do you engage with that?
1: Um, One of the things we do in some of the workshops that I facilitate is kind of just have a conversation about people's experiences. Um, So really just hearing from people what they have seen in some of the gender differences and um, what some of the objections are. So sometimes people have a perception that if one of the genders is operating more with empathy, um, they will be viewed as weaker. And that comes up both between women and men. So that's where I kind of go to this is really gender agnostic. Um, But there's this concern about empathy being uh, weakening rather than strengthening in leadership. And in fact, in my experience, um, empathy strengthens leadership. So it's really helping people dive in and understand kind of what are the ways that they can work through these perspectives that they have and recognize some of the ways in which they can use empathy as a strength.
0: Yeah, what, what I would say here is um, something to think about. Um, there are a lot of difference in it's gender agnostic, and we've, we've talked about that. But one thing, one pattern that I've seen is really compassionate men that really um, dial down that, right, um, because of Sort of the ways in which they're perceived for that, and at the same time, we see women who are naturally that way that dial down and and sort of go the other direction because they don't want to seem too weak. And so there's this sure. there's this amplification and um, you know reduction that, that happens with one's um, stance on empathy. And so um, if you notice, so if someone is listening and notice that they're doing this amplification or dialing down, or they're you know there's really having to figure out um, how to, how to fit into the mold of their team without being the softy or without, you know, going the other way and being so unreceptive to it. Um, what would you encourage that person to at least think about or explore?
1: Sure. Well, you've probably heard the adage, the soft stuff is the hard stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I firmly believe that. Um, one of the things that I encourage people to do is to experiment. Um, and experiment within the context of the environment that they're in. Recognizing, um, you know, we all live in a variety of business environments. So um, if you have kind of some concern around whether empathy is going to work for you or not, um, try it. You know, my objective is not to convince um, everybody that empathetic leadership is the way that to go. My objective is to encourage people to try it and see for themselves the results that they get. More often than not, people come back and tell me they got very different results than they expected. Um, when they were in situations where they thought it was going to put them in a weakening position, it in fact strengthened a relationship and, um, afforded them some more successful business results. So, um, practice, um, I tell people, um, try to practice with some regularity. You know, we know that habit building, um, takes a little bit of time and investment. Um, but you know, even if you're just focused on it, you know, one time a week, um, try an empathetic interaction in a different way than maybe you have tried before. And see what happens, see what happens as a result and try it in, you know, different contexts, different environments with different people. So you have a, you know, a little mini data set for yourself that gives you some information
0: around that. I'm glad you mentioned, you know, habits, because, you know, I'm fundamentally one of those people that believe that if you really want something to become consistent, you've got to develop a habit, right? And, and so that it becomes harder not to do it than to do it. Yeah, Um, and that's when you know you have a habit, and you know we've seen the we've all seen the change management program du jour, right? It's like, oh, we're gonna do empathy, and then for like two months, everybody talks about empathy, and then there's a new one that comes in because of the next book that came out, right? Um, How do we once we start this journey? How do we keep the empathy fire burning, and so that it doesn't just become the empathy du jour or the the habit du jour? And the reason I'm saying this is like I think strategic models can come and go strategic frameworks can come and go but when you start playing with people's emotions that has a lasting impact on culture right and so yeah i think i my belief um i don't do near as much direct on empathy work as you do on this one but my belief is if you start something like this and then abandon it pretty quickly you've actually done more harm um than if you figure out um how to stick with it so um what would we, what we say? How do we create an, a sort of organizational habit of this stuff?
1: Sure. Yeah, I think um, sustaining that momentum is really important. And um, yeah, I've seen, as you have, experiences where there is kind of the flavor of the month mm-hmm. um, that comes and goes. So one of the things that I really like about empathetic leadership is that I think it stands the test of time. And I think it does so because of that emotional connection that you just mentioned. So looking back at all the experiences that I've had, now learning from some of the research that I've been doing, um, it it cuts across industries, geographies, um, levels of leaders. And I expect that even as we continue to evolve in this VUCA environment that I don't think is going to change anytime soon, um, empathy can continue to um, pay dividends because it affects business relationships so positively, and ultimately those business results and outcomes. But how do you how do you sustain that? How do you maintain that momentum that often is generated um, really positively within an organization? So um, aside from the Um, very traditional things that we would think of, which is to have a leadership sponsor that is advocating this internally in the organization, preferably, you know, the more senior, the better. Um, You know, those are some typical things that you think about when you're trying to sustain any program. There are some things that can also happen at more of the ground level. And so sometimes I find that team members are really interested in a particular approach and they want to keep moving it forward. And so you can do that at a very individual level, um, not only by making commitments and actions yourself, but partnering with one or two other people um, to continue to stay connected on the topic. So I find, you know, small accountability groups, um, partners of two, you know groups of four that continue to have dialogue around some of the experiences and challenges that they're having really helps to sustain the momentum of a program like this.
0: Great. I'm glad you mentioned the ground level stuff because what I've been thinking about is um, walking through sort of the three tiers of sort of the lower level of an organization, the middle layer and the senior layer. And as much as we don't like to talk about the hierarchy, it's also something that exists in a lot of places, right?
1: Sure. Yeah. And
0: and so let's walk through a a couple of things based upon where we are and what we can do. So I'm um, new to the organization. I'm, you know, all of this empathy and cultural change stuff is well above my pay grade, but I want it. What should I do? Or what can I do?
1: What can you do? Yeah. What can you do to um, kind of really be intentional around leading with empathy? So if you're curious about um, learning more, um, I think that, um, you know, self-study um, in this area is certainly um Uh, an option for an individual that maybe doesn't have the advocacy in their organization, or maybe it's a small organization. The organization may not have the funds um, to put somebody through a formal program. So um, an individual kind of at that level um, can certainly start by doing some self-study, but that's where I think creating um, a small community to begin at that ground level is really effective. And I also find this effective in organizations that do not necessarily advocate empathetic leadership. I I worked with an individual in a workshop that said to me, you know, my my organization, um, Patricia, I'm just going to say it, is pretty cutthroat. And so I can't imagine that if I show up leading with empathy, Um, that's going to get me very far. And so again, you have to be really strategic about um, how and when you're going to show up as an empathetic leader. You know, is that a situation where I would say, oh, you know, tomorrow you need to um, all in, fully lead with empathy. Um, In that case, you may want to experiment, right? Try some things, try some things around empathetic leadership and see what resonates and what's effective within the context of the role that you're in and the culture and the work environment. So the same goes to that individual that may not have, Um, necessarily the advocacy or the support from their organization.
0: So for for self-study, do you have sort of three book recommendations or three go-to recommendations that you can say, if this is what you're trying to do and you want to get started, go there?
1: Yeah. um, It depends kind of uh, what direction you are coming from. So one of the things that I find when it comes to empathetic leadership is empathy starts to get broadened as a topic. Um, So people like to talk about empathy in a lot of different areas. And so I really like to kind of keep the work that I'm doing kind of in my lane around the boundaries, around uh, the relationship to leadership. Now, that said, there are some books that talk about empathy a little bit more broadly um, that I think are also useful because they give um, a broader look of empathy in the business context. So um, at an individual level, you know, any of Brene Brown's work, I think, um, around vulnerability, which is connected, um, to empathy is really useful. Um, I think, um, Wired to Care, um, is a book that I would say is a little bit more broad, um, in nature and talks about empathy at, um, kind of different levels, but incorporates empathetic leadership, Um, And then I'm certainly working on some of the um, research that I've been doing behind the scenes and um, hope to have some information to share as well, specifically around um, empathetic leadership, a model that leaders can use and some specific um, tactical and practical and applicable tools that they'll be able to use.
0: So I'm going to say to Patricia, no pressure to go ahead and, and get that, you know, put together so we can link to it and share it with it with listeners. I'm just saying. Um, all righty. Uh, middle layer. I'm in this messy middle of the organization. I got people above me. I got people um, below me and around and, you know, I'm trying to get stuff done. I recognize the empathy vacuum. I want to change it. What can I do?
1: Yeah, at that level, it's really about um, finding moments where you can carve out some time um, to figure out where you can invest. And sometimes um, you can invest. I tell people you could practice empathy in a meeting. Um, you know, think about um, incorporating empathy into existing parts of your day, right? Because that middle manager doesn't have a lot of time to go around. So think about how you can practice empathetic leadership in a meeting. Pick one person maybe that you're going to focus on in the meeting and see if you can try and understand where they're coming from. See if you can understand their emotional makeup. Are there ways that you can understand what's going on with them? And um, think about the um, relationship that you have with them and your ability to relate to them. So embed it into existing um, elements of your day-to-day rather than trying to carve out some time. If you can try to carve out some time, it's a bonus, um, but do that as a kind of a way to practice. Also, the other good thing about individuals at this level is that they often have access to a lot of different people. And so in their day to day, they may be able to get some alignment, some partnerships, some advocates with others who are also interested in this in the organization and then build and generate some momentum around it that way as well.
0: That's fantastic. Um, I'm going to slide into book rec here. Um, touchpoints. Oh, I can't remember the, the author's names, but it's a great one. And the main thesis of touchpoints is um, whatever leadership. Um, models you're trying to use or whatever you're trying to do find ways throughout those touch points throughout the day that you already Mm. have um, to make some of these changes happen. And and rather than the traditional model, which is we're going to have a semi annual performance meeting about this and talk about empathy, which has predictable results. So find those touch points and be intentional with how you're using them. Yeah. All right. Senior level. Um, senior level. I, I recognize I'm, I'm here. I recognize that, you know, we've got an empathy problem or that I want to amplify the empathy that we already have. What can I do?
1: One of the things I have been surprised about is I I've talked to some senior level leaders that have said to me, I'm interested in empathy, um, but I'm not quite sure how to implement it. And so I, um, appreciate the value that they see and also the struggle with how to incorporate it into their organization. You know, as we know, senior leaders are the ones um, by nature uh, of their role um, and kind of their uh, stature, for lack of a better word, in an organization that have the ability to influence Um, Much more directly than other levels. So at this level, I would really encourage leaders who are thinking about incorporating empathetic leadership into their organization is to first start by, um, you know, testing with some key stakeholders in their organization um, this idea. So getting some advocates in the organization that can help them spread the message of empathetic leadership and validating, you know, how and when would be the best way to incorporate this into their organization. Because as you know, you know, the business cycles and organizations can vary dramatically and there's often a benefit to thinking about the right time, the right way, the right method to embed this in the organization. And, um, you know, any good project often starts with a pilot. So I think when you're talking to a senior leader, um, a senior leader often has the benefit of the resources and per- perhaps a high potential leader in their organization that might be willing to pilot empathetic leadership. So that's a great way to start within an organization to experiment and see what the appropriate way to incorporate the leadership approach, if it's you know new or if it's enhancing in an organization the pilot can really provide some good feedback before you start rolling it out at a broader level.
0: Great. The reason I wanted to walk through the different levels is because sometimes it can feel like, you know, depending upon where you are, it's like, this sounds like a great idea, but there's nothing I can do. Right. Um, And it's fundamentally not true. Right. There is something you can do. It's whether it's worth doing to you and then you coming up with ways. And again, as Patricia is saying, it's not like, you know, you go and you read the three books on over the weekend, and then you come back, you know, Monday morning, and then your mother Teresa at business, you like, it's not that that's what's being advocated here. But how can you change, um, change sort of the that empathy map in your organization based upon where you are, and we all have a a, a way to contribute to that. Um, so and also, as we've been learning more recently around the world, um, participating in a particular way of being also reinforces that way of being. So doing nothing in in your organization when it has some of these things is also reinforcing that culture's habits. And so just I want to there's a little bit of personal responsibility here that that I want people to to recognize.
1: Sure. Very much so. Yeah. Well, and I've been quite gratified by the stories that people have told me of the experiments that they've had around um, empathetic leadership when they thought they were going to get a a very different result than they actually got. And so that's why I really encourage people um, test it out. Right. Don't take my word for it. Try it. Um, try it with different people, um, with different, um, in different contexts, um, at different levels, and see what kind of results that you get when you invest a little bit more in empathy.
0: So starting to wrap things up, as, as the guest on today's episode, you get to um, make an invitation or a challenge, depending upon which better resonates with you, to the listeners from today's show. So some people like, here's your challenge. And other people like, here's your invitation. Whichever sits with you, I'm guessing it's an invitation with you, right, <laughs> rather than a challenge. But I could be wrong about that. So for people listening to this um, episode and based upon what we've talked about, what would you invite or challenge them to do?
1: Uh, you're right. You, uh, you had predicted me, uh, very well, Charlie, you are, uh, spot on in that I'd like to make an invitation to uh, have people share their stories. So I'm really interested in hearing the stories that people have around empathy and the experiments that they try. So if anybody is interested in learning a little bit more about how, uh, The effect of how they show up with empathy at work, maybe a little differently than they are today, shows up for them and they're willing to share their story. So I guess it's a little bit of an invitation and a challenge, Um, a challenge to uh, try and lead with empathy in maybe a different way than you have in the past. Um, If it's something that's new to you, try and incorporate it into your work and see what happens. Um, see what kind of experiences you have. See if you get your expected results, kind of come up with a hypothesis. And if it's a different result, I'd be really curious to, to hear about it. So if uh, your listeners are willing to share that with me, I'd certainly invite them to do that.
0: Where would you like them to share it with you?
1: Um, you can uh, contact me directly via my website, which is bravoforyou.com.
0: Alrighty, so Patricia, thanks so much again. One of my favorite people and two of my favorite topics. And so thanks so much for coming and jamming with me today. I've had fun and um, look forward to seeing the empathy ripples sort of go out from here.
1: Thanks, Charlie. I enjoyed it.
0: Alrighty, everybody. So you heard it from Patricia. What are you going to do within the next week to experiment and implement with empathy um, in your team? And even if that's just a team of you and your family, even if that's just a team of you and your neighborhood, even if it's with your team, like who we all have teams, what are you going to do to sort of amplify the empathy? And if you have any great stories, we would both love to hear them, but you can contact Patricia um, at her website. We'll put it in the show notes. It's bravo for you. Until next time, stand tall.